We're going to turn to the book of Joshua. But I want to start, before we look at Joshua, with the story of two young men. Decades before the events recorded in the book of Joshua, the Israelites were delivered from slavery in the land of Egypt. And after they crossed the Red Sea, they proceeded to march through the desert. They marched right to the borders of the land God had promised them, right up to the edge of Canaan. Moses was leading Israel at that time. And he chose 12 men, one from each of the tribes, to explore the land. They were to sneak into Canaan, check the place out thoroughly, and then report back. And they did. For 40 years, they had a thorough look around. And they came back to the Israelite camp with evidence of how fruitful Canaan was. It was a flourishing place. They brought back grapes, pomegranates, figs. And the Israelites gathered around to hear their report. The spies said, it's a great place. It flows with milk and honey. But the people who live there are too strong for us. They have fortified cities. And we even saw Anakites in the land. Unusually tall, powerful warriors. We seemed like grasshoppers beside them. We can't attack the Canaanites. They're too strong for us. That was the spy's report. Or more precisely, it was the report from 10 of the spies. Because there was also a minority report that came back from the other two spies. They said, yes, the Canaanites are big. They are powerful. They do have big fortified cities. But our God is bigger. And he is with us. Don't be afraid. Let's go and take what God promised us. That minority report came from two men called Joshua and Caleb. They weren't afraid of the Canaanites. And they weren't afraid to disagree with their fellow spies. Their faith in God made them unafraid of anything else. Now the outcome of that situation was that Israel ignored Joshua and Caleb. In fact, they didn't quite ignore them. They talked about stoning them. But they ignored Joshua and Caleb's report. They didn't take their advice. Israel refused to try and take Canaan. And in response to Israel's lack of faith, God said, you will wander the desert for 40 years until all this rebellious generation has died. All that is except Joshua and Caleb. Because God said, they have a different spirit. They follow me wholeheartedly. They will inherit the promised land. So what happened to those brave young men? 
Did they keep that different spirit about them as they grew older? Did they continue to follow the Lord wholeheartedly? Well, this evening we're going to find out. To do that, we're going to fast forward more than 40 years to the book of Joshua. We're going to look at Joshua chapter 13 and 14. If you're using a church Bible, that's page 228, or in the large print, 349. We're going to look at chapters 13 and 14, but as I read this, first of all, I'm going to miss out a chunk in the middle, which we'll come back to later. Joshua 13, verse 1. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, You are now very old, and there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. This is the land that remains. All the regions of the Philistines and Geshurites, from the river Shihor on the east of Egypt to the territory of Ekron on the north, all of it counted as Canaanite, though held by the five Philistine rulers in Gaza Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, the territory of the Avites on the south, all the land of the Canaanites, from Ara of the Sidonians as far as Aphek and the border of the Amorites, the area of Byblos, and all Lebanon to the east, from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon to Lebo Hamath. As for all the inhabitants of the mountain regions, from Lebanon to Mishrephoth Mayim, that is, all the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out before the Israelites. Be sure to allocate this land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have instructed you, and divide it as an inheritance among the nine tribes and half of the tribe of Manasseh. Then look over to chapter 14, verse 1. Now these are the areas the Israelites received as an inheritance in the land of Canaan which Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel allotted to them. Their inheritances were assigned by lot to the nine and a half tribes, as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Moses had granted the two and a half tribes their inheritance east of the Jordan, but had not granted the Levites an inheritance among the rest. For Joseph's descendants had become two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. The Levites received no share of the land, but only towns to live in, with pasture lands for their flocks and herds. So, the Israelites divided the land, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up up with me made the hearts of the people sink. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance. And that of your children forever, 
because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So, here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since. Because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. This is God's word. This passage focuses first on Joshua, then on Caleb. And both sections emphasize that these two men are old. But they have the same spirit about them they had as young men. First of all, the focus is on Joshua. The conquering hero remembers who is king. One of the most striking things about the first 12 chapters of this book is the emphasis they place on Joshua's leadership. That came out, for example, in the chapter Steve dealt with last time. As we were given those long lists of victories. Joshua's name was always prominent. Joshua took Makeda. Joshua put Libna to the sword. Joshua took Lachish. Joshua subdued the whole region. Joshua took this entire land. And on and on. But was it just Joshua who did all that? No, he had a whole army with him. But he led the army like a conquering king. Of course, Joshua wasn't the king. But imagine the temptation for him to start thinking like a king. Today, we're always hearing about opinion polls. If they'd had opinion polls at this time, Joshua's approval rating would have been sky high. He probably could have installed himself as king. Or he could at least have behaved like a king, ruling over Canaan. He could have taken his pick of the best land for himself. He could have settled down to enjoy the rewards of all those victories he'd won. Who knows if Joshua really was tempted by that. But look what actually happens in verse 1. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, You are now very old, and there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. Whatever may or may not have been going through Joshua's mind in his old age, God's focus, you'll notice, is not on Joshua's reputation. It's not on making sure Joshua enjoys a sweet retirement for himself. 
God's focus is on the work still to be done. Yes, we've seen the victories so far have been amazing. But there are large areas still to be won. There are battles still to be fought. And those unconquered areas are laid out in verses 2 to 5. And then God explains his plan for conquering those remaining territories. Look what he says in verse 6. As for all the inhabitants of the mountain regions from Lebanon to Mishrephoth Mayim, that is all the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out before the Israelites. Be sure to allocate this land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have instructed you, and divide it as an inheritance among the nine tribes and half of the tribe of Manasseh. On one level, what God is saying here is, what's going to happen from now on is the same as what's been happening up to this point. I am going to win the battles for you. That's how it's always been. But still, we can see there is going to be a change. Up to this point, God has won the battles with Joshua leading the entire army of Israel. But now Joshua is too old for that. And instead of God appointing a new leader like Joshua, there's going to be a different approach. Joshua is to divide the land up between the Israelites. So land will go to tribes and within tribes, clans, and within clans to families. And if the land that you inherit happens to have some Canaanites still left in it, well then it's your responsibility to take that land. From now on, that's how God is going to continue the conquest of Canaan. He's still going to win the battles for Israel, but not through one leader leading one big army. Those are God's priorities and instruction. Divide up the land so the conquest can continue. What that means is Joshua's final task as Israel's leader is to give away the rewards of all his victories. Essentially, he's being told to demote himself from the big leader to just another Israelite. The question is, is Joshua going to be faithful? We know he was faithful as a young man. And recently we've seen him lead Israel powerfully in dependence on God. There's been no hint of Joshua taking the glory for himself. But now the question is, will Joshua finish well? Will he pass this last great test? the test of giving away the rewards of victory. Isn't that a test many of us face? We may have served God faithfully throughout our lives. But sometimes the biggest test of our faithfulness is our willingness to hand over to others. Even as I say that, I realize some of us just aren't like that. We can't wait to hand things off to others. 
We can't wait to lay down our arms and be done with responsibility. If that's us, then the challenge for us will come later in this passage. But some of us might be facing or may well face the test of handing over to others. Ministers certainly face that test. People who've served in any role in the church can face it. Sooner or later, our task is to step down from authority and into the background. How does Joshua respond to that test? Well, before we find the answer, we run into a big dollop of history here in these chapters. We're told how the land east of the Jordan River has already been divided up. Before the book of Joshua even started, before Israel crossed over the Jordan, two and a half of the 12 tribes already had their land. Here, on the eastern side of the river. That allocation of land was recorded in the book of Numbers. The land was given to Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. But why is it repeated here? in the middle of our story in Joshua 13. I think there are several reasons. First of all, it shows that in dividing up the land west of the Jordan, Joshua is being asked to carry on something that's already started. This was always God's plan. And a second reason for putting it here is that it shows Moses was faithful in this. He was the leader who gave the land to the two and a half tribes. Joshua is being asked to do something Moses had been willing to do. And third, I think this section is here as a warning. It's a warning because it tells us the tribes east of the Jordan did not finish their conquest. Look down to chapter 13, verse 13. This is part of the description of the land allocated to those two and a half tribes. Verse 13 says, But the Israelites did not drive out the people of Geshur and Maka, so they continue to live among the Israelites to this day. They didn't complete the work they'd been given to do. The nine and a half tribes west of the Jordan are to learn from the two and a half tribes' mistake. The rest of chapter 13 continues to deal with these details of the eastern tribe's allocation. But then it looks like chapter 14 is starting a new section. But actually, it's giving us the answer to our big question. How does Joshua respond to the challenge? Will he be faithful to God in his old age? as he had been in the rest of his life? Will he give away the rewards of all his victories? We'll look at chapter 14, verse 1 again. Now these are the areas the Israelites received as an inheritance in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel allotted to them. Their inheritances were assigned by lot to the nine and a half tribes, 
as the Lord had commanded through Moses. We can see here that Joshua doesn't do all of the administrative work himself. He has help from Eleazar the priest and the heads of the tribal clans. But there's no doubt the impetus to do it came from Joshua. And the details of their work is going to be set out in the chapters to come. But for now, the point to see is the faithfulness of Joshua. Faithfulness to the end. Back in chapter 1, God said to Joshua, Do not turn from my word to the right or to the left. And now, as a very old man, Joshua is still sticking to God's instruction. Despite all of his great success, Joshua remembers who is really king. Later on, chapter 19 tells us this. When they had finished dividing the land into its allotted portions, the Israelites gave Joshua son of Nun an inheritance among them. Isn't that a remarkable thing to read? The conquering hero of chapters 1 to 12 is given an allotted portion in Canaan, just like everybody else. He could have tried to hold the rewards for himself, but he let it all go. And he stood in line like everybody else. In fact, this passage tells us he went to the very back of the queue. He waited till everyone else had their portion. That's what it meant for Joshua to be faithful in his old age. He put God's kingdom ahead of any kingdom he might have tried to build for himself. Now, as it turns out, Joshua will still have major influence in Israel right up to the point of his death. His word is always going to carry major weight with the Israelites. But from now on, his days as the big chief are over. Many of us have seen the opposite of this, haven't we? We've seen countries or businesses or churches suffer Because leaders try to hold on to power. And in churches, pastors can fall into this. And so can leaders of ministries in the church. For some of us, being faithful to the end may mean being faithful to lay down our authority. It may mean stepping aside like Joshua so that the conquest can continue. So others can fight the battles we no longer have the strength to fight. So God's kingdom can grow, not our kingdom. I have to say though, I think most of us face a different temptation. It's pretty much the flip side of what we've just been thinking about. Many of us are all too eager to wash our hands of responsibility and put our feet up. And so, we can be glad the example of Joshua is balanced here in our passage 
with the example of Caleb. When we look at Caleb, we see a man who was wholehearted to the end. Wholehearted seems to be the word that sums Caleb up in the Bible. Back in Numbers, in the aftermath of that spying expedition, when God condemned Caleb's whole generation to die in the wilderness for their unbelief, at that time God said about Caleb, he follows me wholeheartedly. And later when Moses was remembering that incident, in the book of Deuteronomy, that word stuck in Moses' head. He reminded Israel about Caleb's wholehearted obedience to God. But according to Joshua chapter 14, that all happened 45 years before. When Caleb was a young man of 40. And I think it's fair to say 40 is young. In any case, now Caleb is 85. But when the land distribution is being sorted out here, Caleb arrives at Joshua's office one day, knocks on the door and says, remember that time when it was you and me, Joshua, against everybody else? Remember how we took our stand for God's trustworthiness? Well, Moses made a promise to me that day. Look how Caleb explains it in chapter 14, verse 9. On that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Think about what we've just read for a moment. Have you ever waited 45 years for something? If you had, wouldn't you be saying, I've waited 45 years. I still haven't got what I was promised. It still hasn't happened. And now I'm 85. What good will it be now even if I do get it? I think the chances are high. If we had to wait that long for something, we'd be grumpy old men or women. But Caleb is so different. He says, the Lord has kept me alive for 45 years. He's even kept me healthy too. Now I'm ready to receive what he promised. Isn't it great I'm still around to see this day? And of course... Caleb claims the toughest place on the whole map. The hill country of the Anakites. Remember them. They were the ones who scared the other ten spies to death 
the first time they scouted out the land. But Caleb says, is that land still available? That's just the place for me. That's just the battle for me now that I'm 85. And apparently Joshua knows Caleb well enough not to argue. Verse 13 says, Then Joshua blessed Caleb son of Jephunneh and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. People like Caleb are refreshing. Maybe you think they're irritating. But isn't it refreshing to see a man or woman refusing to become cynical as they age? Refusing to lie down and quit? Even when life hasn't given them what they might have expected? Even when God really doesn't seem to have blessed them that much? Doesn't that bring honor to God? When Christians get older and they maintain their confidence in him and in his trustworthiness? Don't we all want to be like that? Maybe some of us look at Caleb and we realize we need to make some adjustments to our outlook maybe, to our attitude. I very much doubt that any of us will be fighting giants at the age of 85. In fact, we'll see next time, Caleb did need some help against the Anakites. He may have overstated his strength and vigor just a wee bit. You and I may not be charging up hills at 85. But what we can have, surely, is the wholehearted spirit of Caleb. That's what God pointed to in Caleb. He said Caleb has a different spirit than the rest. He's not like the majority. He doesn't allow himself to focus on his own weakness or the size of the enemy or the delay in getting what I promised him. Instead, he focuses on my power and my faithfulness. He has a different spirit. He follows me wholeheartedly. And so Caleb wasn't just one of those irrepressible optimists. That wasn't what kept him wholehearted at 85. Caleb was wholeheartedly confident in God. And God's trustworthiness never ever changes. We can trust in whatever kind of personality we have. We can be quietly wholehearted for God just as well as we can be loudly and boisterously wholehearted for God. The way we might show our wholeheartedness, yes, depends on our personality. But the secret of being wholehearted to the end comes from keeping our eyes on God to the end. If you realize that maybe you have become a bit cynical and weary as a Christian. If you sense that, then ask yourself, has God changed? 
You might have lost plenty, but has God lost his power? Have any of his promises failed? Have you missed out on the inheritance he promised you? Is it not true that the best is still ahead for you? We've seen here that God's kingdom is not a place for those who want to cling on to power and to earthly rewards. Nor is it a place for those who want to give up on God because they reckon he's let them down. God's kingdom is a place for those who can give away power and rewards because God himself is their reward. He is their portion, as it says in Psalm 16. God's kingdom is a place for people who can do that because they want to see his kingdom extend beyond maybe where they can go. God's kingdom is not a place for grumpy old men and women or grumpy young men and women. It's a place for those who keep trusting God even when the fulfillment of his promises seems to be delayed year after year. Decade after decade. And Joshua 13 and 14 also remind us the battle isn't over. There's still ground to be conquered for God's kingdom. That was true here in the earthly kingdom of Canaan. And it's true today in the spiritual kingdom of Christ. There's still much ground to be taken in our village, in our families, workplaces, schools, anywhere else we look. Very large areas yet to be conquered. And so let's recommit ourselves to serve wholeheartedly, the way Caleb did, and selflessly, the way Joshua did. We have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard and to recommit ourselves to this. As we sing together a song that's